0: on curiosity stream i'm james burke i'm going to take you on a journey through time james burke's visionary series returns reimagined for our time now this is all uncharted territory the washington post hails burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the western world the new york times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another where do we want to go from here experience all new connections so what's the next connection with monthly annual and bundled plans find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad, unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice, Samsung, more wow than ever. What is up, guys? Greg Ehrenberg here from Stochastic.com, and I'm about to break down. The entire fight card, we've got Rafael Fiziev taking on Matush Gamrot in the main event on Saturday. weigh just finished, and here's my breakdown for all of the fights on today's card. Who we should be targeting in DFS purposes, a couple of bets that I have, and then also my favorite Rainmakers plays from DraftKings, who are the sponsor of today's show. If you guys haven't checked out DraftKings Rainmakers, sign up using the link below. They offer a totally free starters pack for their PGA and their NFL products. You're going to get a pack of cards that you could use to build out an entire lineup, and it's free. You have a chance to win real cash prizes, so something to take advantage of if you guys have not done it already. And as you come in, do me a favor. Like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and let's start breaking down the fights. And a pretty good fight card. Quick recap of last week as well, which went uh, really well for me overall, but could have gone really, really well had Valentina Shevchenko ended up getting the decision when, as opposed to that fight being a draw. So I had a bunch of really live lineups in Rainmakers, and I had lineups that would have come in towards the top of some of those contests. But I played one side of the main event in all of my lineups last week. So the fact that there was no winner sucked. There was still very good scores in that fight because we had Shevchenko finish with about 92 fantasy points, 93 from Grasso. So each of them put up respectable fantasy scores either way. But my best lineups ended up having Shevchenko. I had one that finished just outside the top 10 in each of the rare and the elite con- uh, contests with Shevchenko. And they would have come in second in each of those contests had Shevchenko gotten a nod. So uh, that was definitely a little bit annoying. Cost me a few thousand dollars, but still it was an overall profitable slate. The big hit for me was on a Lupi Godinez to win by submission. So I had her plus 340 by sub and then also had her 13 to 1 for a second round sub. So that ended up making my night overall. And uh, hopefully we we'll get another strong strong slate this week. And no more draws in main events because uh, last week, super annoying. And this is going to be another card where I'm very heavily exposed to the main event. Raphael Faziv taking on Matush Gamrot. And one that's lined fairly close. We've got Fazeev sitting at about a minus 160 favorite right now. So... Slight favorite there towards Fazeev, and I kind of view this as Fazeev early or maybe Gamrot late, potentially going to the judges' scorecards, because Fazeev, when you look at his fights, he has been incredible in the first, second round of pretty much all of his fights, and then he kind of starts to trail off in some of the later rounds. Now, he's only been in one main event in the UFC, and he actually did hold his cardio up until the later rounds against RDA was actually able to finish RDA in the fifth round of that fight. But you look at some of the other fights that we've seen Fazeev in when he took on Justin Gaethje, for instance. He looked terrific in the first round, slows down a little bit in the second in a competitive round, and then Gaethje was able to take over in the later stages. Uh, fight against Bobby Green, kind of a similar story. Fazeev just destroys Bobby Green in both the first and second rounds. Then you get into the third round, and Fazeev just kind of ran out of steam. So the significant strikes in that third round, Bobby Green outlands him numerically 66 to 43. So with that in mind, I think that Faziv is very live for a finish in the first couple of rounds, maybe into even into the third round. But if he's not able to do that and he starts to slow down, Matush Gamrot does not slow down. He's not necessarily like the best at anything, but he's a very well-rounded fighter. He does have a good wrestling base and he is relentless with the takedown attempts. We saw it in his fight against Armand Sarukian where Gamrot lands six takedowns and goes for 21 attempts against a very, very good wrestler in And So Faziva's great takedown defense, but what is it going to look like in the fourth and fifth rounds if he starts to tire and Gamrot is still pushing a pace? I do think Gamrot could land takedowns in the later stages in that sort of event. Now, also something I think that is worth noting here is that Gamrot, while he's never been knocked out in the UFC, I do question his chin. Knocked down by Jalen Turner, knocked down by Benil Dariush, knocked down by Armand And So three consecutive fights that Gamrot's been knocked down. By the way, his UCA debut. we also got knocked down by Gurum Kuteteladze. So with that in mind, I think that there's some durability concerns on Gamrot being knocked down in three consecutive fights. So that's why my pick for this fight is going to be Faziv by KO in the second round. He's going to be the fighter I've slightly more exposure to in both DFS, Classic Contest, and Rainmakers. But this is a fight that I think we want exposure to In all formats, both sides of the fight, I'm going to be all in on this in one side or the other. Lean towards Fazeev, probably like 60-40, maybe 65-35 when I finalize my lineups. Uh, There's a lot of live underdogs that I like for this slate. Gamrod is one of them. Picking Fazeev to win, but it's a fight we want exposure to both sides of. The co-main event, we've got uh, Dan Ige taking on Bryce Mitchell, and Bryce Mitchell looked uh, fairly terrible. In his last fight against Ilya Taporia, now with that said, Bryce Mitchell has said that he was very sick for that fight. And also, Taporia, how good is he looked in hindsight? So with that in mind, I don't think it's the worst loss in the world for Bryce Mitchell. And I think this is a pretty favorable matchup for him against Dan Ige. Ige has the power to end this fight early. But outside of that, I have to favor Bryce Mitchell to win the majority of the of the minutes in this fight because he lands 3.26 takedowns per 15 minutes, and Dan Ige only defends takedowns at a 56% clip. Pretty much all the times that we've seen Dan Ige lose or struggle in the UFC, it's been because he's been taken down and had opponents control him. So with that in mind, I think that's the path to victory for Bryce Mitchell, and if he is able to land takedowns, he's going to score massively. Last couple of fights that Bryce Mitchell has won, He scored 123.8 fantasy points against Edson Barbosa. He scored 112.6 fantasy points against Andre Feely. And then his other recent wins, 88.1 and 108.2 fantasy points. So uh, Bryce Mitchell's a very good DraftKings score in his wins. He's around a minus 200 favorite for this fight. I'm not going to totally write off Dan Ige just because, like I said, he has the early knockout potential, but a pretty heavy lean towards Bryce Mitchell, who I expect to win and score very well for DraftKings purposes. Next fight here, Marina Rodriguez against uh, Michelle Watterson. And we saw this fight take place a couple of years ago. This fight, where was it? Here we go. Uh, 2021 May. So about two and a half years ago, Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson fought against each other. It was a main event. It was somewhat competitive with a pretty clear winner at the end of it in Rodriguez. And keep in mind, this was a five-round fight. And... We just didn't really see a ton of output four or five rounds. This is not a fight that I have a mass amount of DFS interest in. I think the betting line is a little bit wide because there is such a clear game plan, clear blueprint on how opponents can beat Rodriguez, which is basically she is no defensive wrestling or grappling. And Michelle Waterson does have the ability to land some takedowns. She is a decent grappler. She only shot five takedowns in the first fight. If she is going to take on more of a high wrestling pace in this fight, which we have not seen from her, but I know that she is a much more capable wrestler than Rodriguez. I think Watterson is live to win the fight. So if I had to play one of these fighters in fantasy, like I'm going to lean towards Watterson just because of the price point and the fact that if she wins, it's going to have to come through the wrestling and grappling. But I still favor Rodriguez to win just on the standpoint of we saw them fight a couple of years ago, Rodriguez won, but I have next to no interest in Rodriguez for DFS purposes. Considering that she's a striking based fighter, she doesn't have a lot of finishing equity, and it's not like she strikes at a super high rate either. Last couple of fights for Rodriguez, taking down three times our Verna Janjidoba and controlled for basically the entirety of that fight. Amanda Lemos against Rodriguez, basically nothing happened in that fight. It was super low output, then Rodriguez got finished in the third round. Jan Zhao Nan, I know Rodriguez won the decision. I thought that Zhao Nan should have won that fight. She was able to land a couple of takedowns against Rodriguez. So, Picking Rodriguez to win, but uh, a fight that I really, really don't like for fantasy purposes. I don't expect the winner to score all that well in this fight. Brian Battle against AJ Fletcher. This should be a fight that scores really well for DFS purposes. And uh, my preferred side to play in DFS is going to be AJ Fletcher because Brian Battle only has a 38% takedown defense on paper. And when we've seen him lose... He gets taken down. He gets controlled. That is the kind of game plan that AJ Fletcher can implement. Now, AJ Fletcher slows down in the later stages of a lot of his fights, kind of similar to Rafael Fazee. There's actually a few fights that kind of fit that narrative for this slate. So if we see the cardio holdup of AJ Fletcher, not only do I think he wins with wrestling, I think he puts up a really big score against Brian Battle. If he tires out, though, I think Brian Battle is very live to finish him in the third or late second round, but... If the cardio holds up of A.J. Fletcher, the fight's probably going to play out like the He Not dinov fight. Where we saw Fokker dinov land seven of nine takedowns against Brian Battle and controlled him for 14 minutes and 11 seconds out of the 15 minutes of that fight. Massive amount of control time for Fokker in that matchup. A.J. Fletcher, he comes out and wrestles, I think he could have a lot of success. The question just becomes, does his cardio hold up? I think the line is a little bit too wide in this fight. So I do like betting on A.J. Fletcher as an underdog considering he has a very clear path to victory if he's able to get his wrestling grappling going. And if we look at AJ Fletcher some of the wrestling success that he has had at times in his fights, AJ Fletcher has landed, where is it here? Four takedowns in his fight against Matthew Semmelsberger. That was his high watermark. Four takedowns, went four of six in that fight, did end up getting tired in the later stages of that fight, which is why he ended up losing. And then you look at some of his other fights. Lost to Angelusa, ends up getting a submission win over Femba Grembo. But the fight against Angelusa, in hindsight, you know, doesn't look quite as bad because Lusa has looked really good in recent fights. But I'm hoping that AJ Fletcher implements some of that wrestling-based game plan that we saw against Matthew Semelsberger, where we landed four takedowns. If he does that against Brian Battle, he wins, and he probably scores pretty well as an underdog as well. Ricardo Hamosh taking on Charles Jourdain. And this is another fight where I like the underdog. I like Ramos. I like him at plus money. I like him at the cheaper price point on DraftKings. I also like the fact that in the ownership projections we have at Stochastic.com, which if you guys want to sign up for an MMA package, got links included below in the description box. And uh, the thing that I use the most that we have at the site is ownership projections, really important for MMA. Ramosh is projected for 23.8% ownership, and Jordan is projected for 335 I do think this is a pretty close fight, but another matchup here where Charles Jordan has 48% takedown defense. Hamosh lands 2.58 takedowns per 15 minutes, and we've seen him more active looking for takedowns in his recent fights. He had the fight against Danny Chavez where he didn't, but that's because he won by knockout in a minute. Fights that we have seen him win, he landed eight takedowns against Bill Algeo. He lands two takedowns against Eduardo Garrigori, and then also ends up getting a submission in that fight inside of the first round. So I like Hamosh to come out here and wrestle. It's his best best path to victory. If the fight plays out on the feet, I favor Jordan. and Jordan is live to finish Hamosh just because he's so dangerous on the feet. But all things being considered, the ownership, the price point, and then also like the betting line, I think Hamosh is the better side And what is a pretty competitive fight. We're getting both a price discount and an ownership discount on Hamosh in this matchup. So picking him to win. And if he wins, should score really well because I expect it to be a wrestling, grappling-based game plan. All right. About to break down a, a similar narrative that we've brought up a few times already on this card. Miles Johns against Dan Argueta on paper. This is a very favorable matchup for Miles Johns. But the dude has no output and gets very tired in the later stages of a lot of his fights. So Miles Johns is a wrestling-based fighter but doesn't shoot takedowns. Most, most of his wrestling background he uses to keep fights on the feet. So he has a 92% takedown defense. So we've got Miles Johns as a fairly significant underdog here against, here, uh, yeah, where's the betting line? Betting line at the time I'm recording, we have Dan Argetta is a minus 185 favorite, anywhere from minus 185 to like minus 200 is the line on Dan Argetta. And Argueta, by the way, had a brutal weight cut. So one of the reasons, actually the main reason that I was waiting to record this video today is because most fighters weighed in and made weight pretty early. But Dan Argueta didn't weigh in until there was like 10 minutes left, five minutes left in the weigh-in period. And there was a point where I was wondering, like, is Dan Argueta just not going to weigh in? He finally shows up. He looked very sucked out and then also was wearing sunglasses. I, I didn't think he looked very great physically on the scale. Did make weight, so that's a positive for him at the very least. But now I kind of question what his cardio is going to look like in the later stages of that fight. And if he's not going to be able to land takedowns in the early going, I think it could be a struggle for him. In the, in the third round, if this wasn't for the weighing issues for argetta I would expect him to be able to take over the fight because that's when Miles Johns typically ends up slowing down. I thought maybe the cardio difference could be something that lets Argetta score decently for fantasy purposes. But considering how poor he looked on the scales and also the fact that Johns' has 92% takedown defense Uh, This is a fight that I don't have all the much interest in. And if Johns is able to defend the takedowns and win, he's just not a very good DraftKings scorer. So a fight that I'm mostly going to be passing on for DFS purposes. Tim Means against Andre Fialo. This should be one of the better scoring fights for DFS purposes. We currently have this fight minus 250 to minus 280, depending what book you're looking at, to finish inside the distance. Fight is also priced in the mid-range. We have... The price point on Andre Fialo at $8,900, he's projected for 30% ownership. Tim Means at $7,300 projected for 23% ownership. I like being overweight to both of them for Rainmaker's purposes and Classic purposes. I think that whoever wins this fight should finish, should score well. Fialo is somebody who, one round of cardio, he either gets his opponents out of there in the first round or he starts to gas, gets finished himself. And Tim Means is old at this point. Tim Means is 39 years old. He's going to be turning 40 in a few months. That's a red flag. His durability also has not looked great in some of his recent fights. So I'm picking Fiala to win by first round KO. If he doesn't get that first round KO, I think Means is very live to finish him in the later second or early third round of this fight. Should be a banger. I'm really looking forward to it. Fight of the night candidate for sure. Picking Fiala to win, he is my preferred play. Uh, But I don't think that Means is a fade by any means either. It's It's a fight to play both sides of. Next fight and a few left to talk about here. Jacob Malcoon against Cody Brundage. Malcoon is projected for a shit ton of ownership this weekend. We have him projected for just under 60% ownership at $9,500. There aren't that many pay-up options to feel terrific about this week once you're getting into like that 9 k plus range. And we'll talk about a couple of the other fighters that are expensive as we talk about the upcoming fights. But what really stands out about Malkoon and why he looks favorable, other than just the fact that by comparison and the other payup options are not all that great for this slate, Malcoon lands 7.46 takedowns per 15 minutes. He is absolutely relentless with the wrestling and grappling. So Malcoon's fantasy game log. Last time out, he scored 131 fantasy points against Maximov. He had a loss against uh, Brennan Allen where he scored 67.7 fantasy points. Matchups before that where he won – uh, 129.3 against Dobson and against Abdul Razak Al Hassan, 114.8. In wins, Malkun scores extremely well. He's a nearly minus 700 favorite, so he's very likely to win. If he wins, we've seen his wins. He scores 110 plus fantasy points. So, with that in mind, I have to not only pick Malkun to win due to how big of a favorite he is, but I also have to target him pretty heavily in DraftKings Classic and Rainmakers contest just because he breaks slates whenever he wins. $9,500, not always a price point I like paying up for, but I find it to be a little bit unavoidable on this slate, especially when consider that some of the other pay-up options, like uh, Mizuki Inouye and Tamaris Vidal, I kind of question what their upside looks like in their matchups. A few fights left to talk about. Mohamed Usman against Jake Collier, and uh, this is a super, super low-level heavyweight fight. I have to pick Collier to win based on how I break down fights because there is so much more output on the Collier side. I don't have a mass amount of interest in this fight from a DFS purpose. I'm going to be playing more of Collier than I am of Usman, especially when you consider that Collier only projects for 22.8% ownership as a slight underdog. Usman has a slight favorite project for 27% ownership. So I am going to be picking Collier to win. I also think he's worth betting on because of the difference in output. He lands 5.81 significant strikes per minute. Usman lands 0.92. I know that Usman is probably the one who's more likely to land the takedowns, and Jay Collier himself doesn't have the best cardio in the world, but neither does Usman. Like, Usman's been very unimpressive to me in the time we've seen him in the UFC. Even his win over Zach Pauga to win the ultimate fighter and end up getting his UFC contract. He, he looked like shit in that fight. He lost the first round. He did hardly anything. He was also fighting Paugo, who's a light heavyweight that was fighting up at heavyweights, who is massively undersized. And then we just see in the second round, Usman's able to land a strike that knocks out Pauga. It was a jab, but just look at this output for Usman. That fi- that fight against Pauga finished in the second round, lands 12 significant strikes. His last fight was a decision win over Junior Tafa, which was just an absolute stinker of a fight. Mostly took place up against the cage in the clinch. When it was on the feet, Usman was getting hurt with every single strike that landed on him. And then he was desperately wrestling, and Junior Tafa just had no takedown defense to be able to do anything about it. So uzman wins the fight and lands seven significant strikes. We see him. Two fights in the UFC, he's fought a total of four-plus rounds and landed 19 significant strikes. If this fight takes place on the field, like, I just can't expect Usman to be able to keep up with the output of Jay Collier considering his striking stats to this point. So it's a really low-priority fight, but I'll favor the Collier side just due to the output. Also, a plus 125. I think that's worth betting because of the difference in significant strikes. If Collier is going to land five strikes for every time Usman lands one, even if Uzman's strikes have more pop, I think Collier will ultimately end up winning a decision. Mizuki Inoue taking on Hannah Goldie and Inoue is a massive favorite, but who knows what the hell we're getting out of her in this fight because she has not fought since August 22nd of 2020. Three plus years since she was last in the UFC. She's dealt with some injury issues, some uh, outside issues that have also kept her outside of the octagon. So long layoff. She's coming back to fight Hannah Goldie and, She was not a great DraftKings score when we actually saw her active in the UFC. She's a big favorite against Hannah Goldie, but I just don't want to pay up for a fighter who I don't think has all that much scoring upside. She's $9,200 on DraftKings, still projected for around 30% ownership. And there's just so many fights that are live to finish that we've already talked about here. So this fight, another one, just don't have all that much interest in. Picking Mizuki in a way to win, but as far as DraftKings goes, classic contest, Rainmakers, Hard to really be one that we want to invest in. Kind of a similar story here to an extent. Tamara's Vidal against uh, Montserrat Rendon. Super, super low-level fight. Each of them have only a handful of professional fights. Vidal 7-1 is a pro. Rendon 5-0. This is also a fight that is north of minus 200 to go to the judges' scorecards. So with that in mind, like Vidal, who we saw finish Ramona Pascal on her UFC debut, cool, but Pascal is not a UFC level talent. And there's just so little tape on both these fighters, Rendon and Vidal. They're both very green in their careers. That, like, what are we really going to be getting out of them? It's hard to have a whole lot of confidence in anything. I'm going to lean on the fact that at the, at the books, this fight is minus 200 to go to the judges scorecards. You got Vidal is nearly a minus 300 favorite. So I pick her to win and I'm going to pick her to win by decision based on the betting odds as well. But She's projected for 35% ownership at 9000 Like if I had to play one side of the fight, I'd lean towards Vidal, but I also don't want to play her as Chalk at 9000 So getting back to the Malcoon point, this is why I'm favoring and why I'm going to be targeting Jacob Malcoon even at his high ownership and high price point, because I don't have all that much interest in Vidal or Mizuki in a way at $9,200 and 9000 And those are all of the fights, all the fighters that we have the option to pay up for, if we're going to be on the expensive end and have extra salary to save this weekend. So uh, with that in mind, Tamaris Vidal, somebody who I'm going to be underway to the field to for DFS purposes, even though I am picking her to win. And that is going to wrap up today's show. If you guys have any questions or comments for myself, let me know below in the description box. I do expect there to be a lot of upsets on this card, a lot of live underdogs. So should make for some interesting lineup construction. Please, judges, no screw jobs, no draws. Don't want any of that nonsense this week. Let's just play this straight and hopefully everything works out in our favor thank you very much for watching guys if you have not done yet like the video subscribe to the youtube channel have a great weekend with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky Land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky